0: Hi, this is your host Pete Bloom. Welcome to American Heroes Network. Our core mission is serving the brave men and women who have sacrificed to ensure our freedom. You will hear true stories from those that have served, learn about veteran organizations and resources, and gain hope for your future knowing American Heroes Network, your community, and other veterans are here and at the ready to serve and help you and your family. We will talk about the hard topics like PTSD and TBI. You will also hear military history, inspirational stories, learn about networking with the community and more. So come join us and be part of our family. Today's guest is the son of a World War II Marine and has been involved with helping active duty military and veterans in some way or another for about 20 years. His passion is absolutely helping others. He's the founder and president of Military Java Group. I would like to welcome Matt Phillips. Matt, good morning. And how are you doing today?
1: Good morning, Pete. I'm doing fine, thanks. Appreciate your asking and very much appreciate your having me on so that we can help promote our coffee and mission of supporting our wounded troops with our 50% donation of profits to the Semper Five Fund.
0: You know, absolutely. And that's one of the main things is that you do such a great job giving back that it's just amazing. And so it's an honor to have you as a guest today. So Matt, you grew up in a military family. Can you tell me what that was like for you?
1: Yes, Pete, it was a military family. Uh, My dad was the youngest of 16. There were 14 boys and two girls, and as I always say, the two girls must have felt like indentured servants back then. But three served in the First World War, three boys served in the First World War. One was a Silver Star recipient with the 77th Division, Army for Action in the Meuse-Argonne Offensive in France in 1918. He left that with the original citation to me, which obviously I treasure. Five served in the Second World War, dad, 20 months plus with the Marines in the Pacific, and one actually served in both wars. He was on an old four-stacker destroyer with the Navy doing Atlantic convoy duty in World War I, and when the Second World War broke out, he was in the construction industry, and he took a leave of absence from his job, and he joined the Seabees, and he was in four campaigns in the Pacific, and the last being on Okinawa, where he ran into his son, who was also a Navy Seabee. He hadn't seen him in over two years. He was in a different battalion doing island hopping out there in the Pacific. And it just so happened they ran into each other on Okinawa. And he also had another son who was a submariner. So we come from a long line that want to serve our country. Unfortunately, I lost an eye when I was seven years old. I was struck with an arrow when I was three and it had to be removed when I was seven. So I didn't have the opportunity to serve in uniform. I ended up in the coffee business, green coffee, trading Lived in Brazil for several years, and uh, was the trading manager of Brazilian exporter for ten years in downtown Manhattan, Wall Street. And then the last fifteen years, I was with another Brazilian company who had their asked me to open a headquarters for them for their international trade. And I put that in New York on Long Island, actually, and it was down the block from First Marine Corps Recruiting District headquarters. And at that time, I got to meet the Marines there and befriended them, and did what I could to support them and their families. And then when I retired in 2005, I went back to them and used my connections and asked if they would help me get a deployment to Iraq. And in 2008, I deployed as part of what was the LOGCAP, Logistical Support Mission for Operation Iraqi Freedom. And I spent a couple months in Camp Liberty, which was outside of Baghdad, and then requested and volunteered to forward deploy and was sent to FOB Warrior in Kirkuk up in the Kurdish region and it was there that I saw firsthand what a great job these young men and women do in, in such miserable conditions and that prompted me when I returned home to use my background and connections more importantly in the coffee industry to start up this mission of supporting them through coffee and through the Semper
0: Fund. That's really awesome. I can see with having a long line of you know, military members in your family, that it must have really meant a lot to you. And it's pretty amazing that even though you weren't able to serve on active duty, that you still took the initiative to just be like the other members of your family and still go serve just in a different way. So you were out there you know, with them. What did you do with them on a daily basis when you were over there in Iraq?
1: Well, initially, I was because of my background, I was with KBR. And I was offered a position in procurement, in senior procurement, because of, like I say, my background with the commodities. And I was calling my monitor every week. And finally, she said to me, Matt, these positions, there are only a few of them. And she said, you are paid over 200K and you're in the green zone and you're given a hotel room with a bathroom, your own private bathroom. And she said, so these people don't give those positions up very often. She said, it might be a year or more before somebody gives it up and you'll be moved over. And I said, well, that's not necessarily what I wanted to do anyway, but what do you have available that I can go now? She said, the only thing we have open is the mail mission. And she said, but you'll be... First of all, she said, on a payment scale, you'll make maybe 70K or so with the uplifts. And she said, but you'll be working 12 hours a day, seven days a week, humping foot lockers in an APO or an FPO. And you'll be living in a dry can and using the community head. And she said, it's going to be an, an entirely different situation. And I said, well, that's exactly what I want to do. I, <laughs> I don't, don't want to sit in a cubicle in the green zone. That's not why I want to go over. So, um... I went over and I worked the desk in the front of the APO in Kirkuk, and I loved it because I had the opportunity to interact with the kids over there. That's exactly what I wanted. And in fact, I was there for a couple of weeks and my boss called me in the back and he said, Matt, are you here to make money? Or are you here to socialize? And I remember saying, well, to be honest with you, Mike, I'm here to socialize. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I loved it. You know, I was the unofficial bank the kids would come up, it was cash or Eagle Cash. And a lot of times they didn't have the money to cover what it was they were sending back to their moms and dads or wives and kids and loved ones, whatever. And, you know, I'd say, look, okay, you're a buck and a half short. What am I going to do? Send them out and say, you can't send that package. So I would loan them the money and I'd say, you know, it's a loan. You got to pay me back. And God bless them. They all did. I love being able to do that for them and just, as I say, just interacting with them. And it was one of the greatest things I ever did in my life. The good Lord's been kind to me. I had a lot of good things in my life, but this was the number one thing that I can honestly look back at and say that I felt I was making a difference and helping out. And just being there was important to me.
0: Yeah, I think it's amazing that you did that. I know people that have volunteered to serve and then for whatever reason, um, Flat Feet, for example. The military wasn't taking people with flat feet. I don't know if they do now, but they didn't back then. And then that's the end of the road. You know, people, for whatever reason, they tried, they can't do it, and that's it. But, you know, you persisted, and you made it happen, and and you got over there, you know, with troops, even though you weren't active duty. And so you've gone above and beyond what a lot of people do. Many kudos for that. I'd like to ask you something else. You mentioned green coffee. Now, before we start talking about what you started after you retired, can you explain what green coffee is? Because honestly, I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's the raw green material. What I did was we would source it at origin. It's grown in 40 different countries around the world. Interestingly enough, the second largest producer of green coffee in the world is Vietnam. Now, Brazil is the number one producer. They produce roughly 55 to 60 million bags, a bag being 60 kilos. Number two is Vietnam. They produce over 30 million now. And then Colombia. It's the second largest cash-valued commodity traded in the world after oil. I would buy it from various producing countries, Vietnam, Thailand, Central America, Brazil, Colombia, and then we would bring it along and we would sell it to consuming countries. There's the producing countries and the consuming countries. We would buy it from the producing countries. We would hedge it in the futures market using options, hedge the currencies and so forth, and then bring it along and sell it to the Nestle's of the world. When I was handling the Franco Perez book, as it was called, and we were the global headquarters, we would sell it to Europe, Israel, Scandinavia was one of our big markets, but we would be buying it from all of the various producing countries and then selling it as the raw material, which then the roasters would purchase and roast and package and sell it, put it on the shelf in the supermarket.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. It's just, you know, not being in the industry. I'm not familiar with the term and a lot of people are probably not. And it's always nice to learn those little interesting facts. So thank you for explaining that. Now you obviously, in just talking there, you know, we can see the, the wealth of the experience that you have in the coffee industry. So at some point then you decided, you know, after going over there and being in Iraq and serving alongside of people that are active duty and that you wanted to make a difference, you wanted to help. So then you created the military Java group. So can you tell us about that and the brands that you created to go with it?
1: Sure. Yeah. Initially, when I came home, I went to a friend of mine who we've been friends for 40 plus years. And he is the CEO of what's called Rothfuss Corporation, which is part of the Neumann Coffee Group. They're a private company. They're headquartered in Germany. They're in 35 different producing countries. They have offices. And they do a turnover of $2.6 billion a year. They're the largest green coffee trader in the world. Dan runs their North American operation, which is, uh, provides 20% of the total green coffee for Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, Nestle, all of them. And Dan and I go back 40 plus years. We met playing ice hockey and we became friends. And I got him his first job in coffee. And I'm the godfather for one of his daughters. And he came to visit me here in Hendersonville in Western North Carolina and loved it so much. He bought a house about 15 minutes away where he will eventually retire to. So Dan is a real patriot, and I went to him and explained what I wanted to do. And he said, Matt, we will support you. And it's a fantastic situation. Quite frankly, I couldn't do this without him because, first of all, the amounts of monies that are involved are enormous. At one point, I owed him $375,000, but he believed in what we were doing, and so he wanted to assist us which does two things. I mean, at first, it shows people that we're not a basement and garage operation. We have this $2.6 billion company behind us, which gives us a great sense of credibility within the marketplace and to the the buyers that we can deliver the product. And the product we're going to deliver to them is going to be the top quality. For example, with our 100% Colombian brand, Jarhead Java, Dan is purchasing the coffee through his office in Colombia, which is buying directly from the farmers. And being that they're the number one purchaser of coffee in Colombia, the farmers are giving them the best quality because obviously they're the biggest. So they want to be working with them. So we started with the Jarhead Java and we went to MCX and we were fortunate in being able to get a trial run with them. And we were told by them that we needed to sell 60% of the product on a trial run within 60 days. And we sold 70% in 30 days. And we had sold 100% in the 60 days. So the quality was accepted, the packaging, it was Marine-centric. The Marines love it. We've increased sales now on a regular basis. We still continue to accelerate the sales. But when I went to, for example, I went to the Navy Exchange and I went to the Army and Air Force Exchange, and obviously, Jarhead Java being Marine-centric, they wanted their own brand. So with the Navy Exchange, what we decided to do, we came up with Bravo Zulu Java, which Navy parlance, everyone knows, they well done. So, so it's well done coffee. And it works for the Navy, works for the Coast Guard, and it also works for the Marines. For the Army and Air Force Exchange, it was a little bit more difficult in the sense that there was not a lot of commonality between those two services. So I said, why don't we do this? Why don't we come up with a patriotic brand with a military packaging, which will also work for the civilian market, eventually where we want to expand into. And so we came up with Stars and Stripes Java. And uh, I said, let's put the American flag on the front of the packaging, the muted flag that's worn when deployed, and we'll reverse it so that the star field is facing to the right, which is proper flag etiquette. The star field always has to be moving forward. And on the right shoulder patch that the Army wears, the flag is reversed. And on military aircraft, space shuttle, Air Force One, and on Air Force aircraft on the right side of the fuselage, if there's a flag, it's reversed. And so it's eye-catching as well. In fact, when I went to AFES at first and presented it to them, they said, yeah, the flag is backwards. This is wrong. I presented to them the Army regulation, which stipulates that it has to be reversed. And I showed them pictures and so forth. And it took a while because at each level it would go up to where they were presenting it to their bosses. It always came back to me that they keep saying, it you or know, it's backwards. And I said, well, Again, it's not. And I said, we have on our package. I made sure we put on the the actual package that our flag is always advancing. But I said, you know, you keep coming back to me saying that the people look at it and grab the bag. And I said, that's marketing 101. The whole object of the exercise is to get people to look at it and it catches their eye. So eventually they saw things my way. And so we're in the process now. We were approved. The quality was approved. Packaging finally was approved, and we're in the process of working with them to get into their system so that we'll do a 60 store trial run, which will be upcoming. So, we're excited about that. That's basically how things worked out, and now we feel we have all the service branches covered. And we also have a brand in Stars and Stripes Java that civilians can recognize because I'm sure that 99% of the civilian market out there, if they saw a Bravo Zulu Java, they would not have any idea what a BZ was.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, all three of those brands, I love them. I think that the names are great and they are appropriate for their different markets. So, you've done very well in that. It's like really good for everybody, military, civilian. I think one of the best parts though is, you know, you've created something that people love, that people have all the time, that people buy all the time, whether it's, you know, for home or whether it's in a store or whatever, but you do something that is very unique and very amazing to me. It's the whole thing that you do to give back. And this is really how you're helping veterans. So can you tell me about you know what it is that you're doing and how you give back?
1: Well, you've made a very good point there. And this is one of the things that's recognized. When I first went to the Semper Fi Fund, and firstly, they're a fantastic organization. And they were started up in 2003 and 2004 by the wives of three Marine officers who were involved with the invasion of Iraq. And one of them, Karen Gunther was the nurse out at Camp Pendleton, and she saw these young kids coming home, banged up, and many of them didn't have the financial wherewithal to even afford to have family come to visit them in the hospital out there. And so she went to General Mattis, who was the commanding general of 1st Marine Division at the time, and she said they would like to start up a fund to help these kids. And he gave it his blessing, and to this day, he still is a huge supporter of the Semper Phi Fund, and we fast forward to today, and they've raised over $210 million. They give 94% back, and they're one of the top-rated charities by the Watchdog Group's Charity Watch and Charity Navigator because of their enormous give back. So it's an honor and a privilege to be working with them, and I went to them through a friend of mine who knew Karen's husband, and we're the first, and to my knowledge, we still are the only commercial entity that they've allowed to use their logos. They're very, very protective of their name and their logos and their brand as well they should be. And I respect and honor that like it's my own name because it is that important. So we're, like I say, honored and privileged. We're giving 50% of our profits back. And again, as you touched on, the fantastic thing here with coffee is that it's a potential long-term revenue stream for them of significant monies that isn't contingent upon donations, which have been flowing because what i'm saying is look here's a product coffee it's a great quality product we're only putting in the best coffee as i said to my buddy dan when we started this i said we're not going to put in garbage coffee and i know coffee uh, i said we're going to give the best we have we can get because we want people to keep coming back they'll try it once for the give back but if they don't like it and they're a coffee drinker they're not going to come back so we're giving a great quality product and the Five fund is a fantastic fantastic organization. So it's a real win-win, particularly with the exchanges and the commissary because, again, those monies that are being made and they're making a good profit off it is going to the MWR fund. So it's a win-win. The other thing that I want people to know, and I think it's important, is that the good Lord's been kind to me. I am by no means a wealthy individual, but at my age, I'm 66, I'm content with sitting out on my deck with a decent bottle of wine, a good book, and my two dogs. And so I'm not looking to keep my 50%. My 50% is going to be given back into for advertising. And also what I want to do is set up something where I can help out. What I come across during this journey is there's so many great little funds out there that don't have the power that the Semper Fi Fund does with the people that are behind it, that do bake sales and golf outings and really work hard to help. And I'd like to be able to assist them. The other thing that I've done is I've already gone out and set up a trust fund. I have no one in my family. I'm by myself. And so when I go, I want to be sure that this continues. So I've set up a trust fund whereby 50% of the gross profits will go in perpetuity to the Semper Fi Fund. And I've set up a chain where there will be people who will take care of it. But the requirement is that 50% of, and again, gross profits, which is important, go to the Semper Fi Fund in perpetuity.
0: Wow. That is a really big give. You're saying that for the life of this thing that you created and for your life, you're going to make sure that the veterans are being taken care of through giving to the Semper Fi Fund. And as you said, they're a great organization. I definitely heard about them and I think they're amazing as well. It's just really incredible what you're doing. And I hope that you're an example for many other organizations to think about what giving really means and actually take it very seriously because there are so many, you know, veterans and their families that could really, you know, use some assistance. So, Matt, I have another question for you. You told me about where you live. So, how do you really connect with people from way up there on that mountaintop?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, like I tell people, I, I work more now than I did when I worked, and I haven't taken a penny, and you know, it's not about that. But you know, fortunately, things are such that you know, electronic, uh, social media is there, and the internet, and what we're doing. I tell people when I used to fly, you know, a lot of the young people today don't understand. I remember my first time I went down to Brazil, it was like 1984 when I was moving down there to live for a couple of years. And the company had a policy where if you traveled more than, I think it was five hours, you could go first class. And my girlfriend walked me to the gate. There was no security. There was nothing checked. Uh, I got on a 747, the old ones with the spiral staircase where they had the piano lounge upstairs. And uh, nowadays, it's a chore to travel. It's like getting beat up, going and coming. So I try to avoid it, although I'm up to um, Annapolis a lot because we're partnered with Navy football and with the coffee served in the chow hall there at King Hall. So I'm obligated to go up there. and, And I was recently at the Pentagon because the DOD concessions there were interested. And I just received all the paperwork that I got to go through and we were approved. So we'll be selling at the Pentagon concession area. It's called a rover program. Uh, you're in for two weeks an out, and then you move around, and you're in various locations there. But we're excited about that because even the promotional aspect of having 26,000 that are in and out of the Pentagon every day, and they're all active duty, retired, or former military, or working for the military. So the demographic is exactly who we're looking to get. But Pete, I try to avoid traveling, although I do understand and recognize that at times I've got to go and get my butt on a plane. And <laughs> we were recently at, uh, we have a suite one time a year for a home game because we're partnered with Navy football. So we were recently up there, or saw a great game, and we had some great people in the suite with us. We had uh, General Conway, the 34th Commandant of the Marine Corps. He and his wife are on the board of directors of the Semper Fi Fund, and he was with us. Uh, Lieutenant General Tulin, Lieutenant General Sattler, both USMC retired, uh, Vice Admiral Cullum, who was the former N-4 and chaired the oversight committee for both DECA and the Navy Exchange, was with us with his family. So we had a great time. And Dan and Jenna from Rothfuss were with us. But again, I think it shows the level of support we have at the senior levels of the military. But we had some young men from the um, wounded warrior, Marine Wounded Warrior Regiment, who were with us as well. And we loved having them with us because that's what it's all about. It's about them and, and helping them. So we loved having them with us. And in fact, they brought us down on the field. In the fourth quarter, we were in the end zone when Navy scored one of their touchdowns, which was really, really neat being there and being on the field and having these young men from the Wounded Warrior Regiment with us there on the field. One of them said to me, it was, I mean, he was all of 19 years old, God bless him, but he said this was one of the high points in his life. And I said, well, son, you've got plenty more coming. So it really was special.
0: Wow. So you do still get out and about and have to uh, travel and promote and and all that kind of stuff. So that's great. And hopefully uh, at some point, you know, we'll be able to run into each other in person. And I'd love to hang out with you for a while and have a cup of coffee, if you will.
1: (laughs) Well, for sure. And the door is always open here. If you're in Western North Carolina, come on out, hang out on the deck and we'll give you something a little stronger than some coffee as well.
0: (laughs) Awesome. That's great. So, Matt, if you had to give transitioning military or veterans or spouses some advice, what kind of action items or life advice would you give them so that they could be successful?
1: The one thing that I have seen, the thread that goes through all of my friends that are veterans that have transitioned, is the biggest thing that I see for them is their ability to adapt to the civilian mindset within business organizations where they're used to a structured environment. Everyone in the organization is following orders. Everyone in the organization knows what they're doing. They have a mindset that is targeted to what they need to have done and to get it done, get it done right, get it done as soon as possible. In the civilian world, it's a little bit different. The structures... Not all, and again, I don't want to paint everybody with a broad brush, but by and large, what I've noticed, particularly in my business, it was trading. So at the end of the day, you made money or you lost money, and it was black and white. And so it was everything had to be done, and it had to be done right, and it had to be done right away, which to a certain extent, I don't want to try to equate the two, because in the military, we're talking about lives. In my business, trading, it was money, and money comes and goes. Lives are something that are precious. But there's an ambiguity in a lot of the businesses that are on the civilian side where eh, there's a laissez faire attitude, so to speak. And it's difficult, what I've noticed with my friends, it's difficult for them to understand and to adapt to that kind of environment. And they have to be careful because they can't come in with guns blazing because that's going to set people the wrong way in terms of what they see from the military side. So that's the hardest part that I've noted. I have a good friend of mine, Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Stevenson, who's coming to visit today with his family. They're going to go over to the Biltmore because they do that at Christmas. And we've sat and talked about that, how difficult it was for him to walk in the first time he walked into the business where he was at. And it was a real adjustment period for him to be able to kind of take it down a few notches so as to be able to... Understand and recognize and realize that the level of intensity that's there in the civilian side is not what's there in the military side. And it was difficult for him to adjust to that. If I was to say one thing to those that are transitioning, is understand that it's a different environment and adjust to that environment.
0: You know, that is such an accurate statement. Here's the thing you know, when people transition, and and like you're saying, you know, they're used to one thing, they're used to following directions, and then they get out and companies are completely different. Well, there's something they should take into consideration when they do get out. And it's really taking the time to do the research about where they're going and not just jumping into something. Because there are a lot of companies out there that are military friendly. So it'll still feel like having that military family. And, you know, they have veteran programs. They mentor them. They help them with the transition. They help them to not be too fierce when they come in there telling them to, hey, you can't go barking orders, you know, you have to say please and thank you and all this kind of stuff now. So just the simple stuff. Exactly. You
1: know, he was Jeff, he was a lieutenant colonel, you know, he was used to going in and saying, get this done, and it would be done. And it was understood that it needed to be done. Where, like you say, now it's, you know, you go in and you might be their boss, but it's a different relationship between boss and underling than it is in the military, entirely different.
0: Right. And one more thing on that about the boss. Is that one thing that senior leaders, whether they're enlisted or officer from the military, are finding difficult is after a 20 or 30 year career in the military, they get out. They come to some great company. And as an officer or senior enlisted, you can imagine, you know, about what the age range is after 20 or 30 years. And then you come into a company and, you know, you're basically working for some kid that's, you know, 32 years old and he's the boss. And here you are with, you know, much more experience and knowledge and you got to figure out how to be able to work for that person and somehow sort of mentor them and still take direction from them at the same time. And that's a challenge.
1: And that leads to the second thing. All the young people that I see that are out there, you have plenty of time. Put the Xbox down. Dedicate time to get your degree because that piece of paper unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at it, but it's a requirement in today's business world. So when you get out, if you don't have a degree, you're not even in the line. You're not at the back of the line. You're not even in the line. You need that degree to be able to compete in the business world on the civilian side. And so take advantage of what the government is giving you money-wise to be able to get that degree. And while you're in the service, take time to start working on it so that when you do get out, you're close to having that degree or you have that degree. And that's the biggest thing that I tell the young ones out there, the enlisted that are out there that don't have the degree and don't require a degree to to be serving. It will help you tremendously. And you've earned it. You've earned that money with your service. You've earned the right to have the government give you that money to be able to put you in a position where when you get out, you're going to be not only in the line, but in the front of the line.
0: Matt, you've really hit the nail on the head with that one because from personal experience, I know that that is true because after getting out of the military myself, working for an enterprise level company for nine, 10 years, companies, they do layoffs. You know, they they outsource and they do layoffs. And then what happens is you start over. And that's basically when you're getting out of the military, you're starting over. And my point in starting over, even being out in the business community already, then I'm up against other people. And what I came to realize was that not having a degree or not having a certification always did put me as basically the last choice because think about it, you know, you're applying, there's, let's just say, 30 other people that applied for the same job and whoever's making that decision is looking. And if they have, you know, five candidates with master's degrees, some with bachelor's degrees, and then there I am with no degree, I'm not going to be chosen. So that's when it comes to degrees. But a lot of companies these days, if they don't want a degree, they definitely want a certification. There's HR certifications, project management certifications, IT certifications. And the same thing goes. If you don't have the certification and 10 other people do, you're not going to get looked at. So the people that are transitioning or even if they're out, but they have the ability to use the GI bill, they should do it. They should get that education get the degree, get the certificate, because it will help them be more successful in life.
1: And the unfortunate reality is that 99% of the civilians that are looking at resumes and looking to hire people, they might see, I had a buddy of mine who, 30 years, Marine, retired Sergeant Major. And they look at that and he didn't have the degree. And then they look at a 22-year-old kid who has a bachelor's degree, and they're gonna take that 22-year-old kid not understanding that that 30 years that this person put in and acquired the rank of sergeant major and the responsibility and obligations that that required to get to that level was like a harvard phd but they don't recognize that reality they just look and they say oh here's a guy from Quinnipiac who has a degree in whatever and he's going to get it over that sergeant major and that's the reality so get the paper
0: Right, you're right. They don't realize that there's years of experience and leadership behind what comes out of the military and those things are so helpful for a company and being successful and in getting process improvement and organization and that is so valuable. Some companies do understand it, but most just look for the piece of paper and in some cases It's just a requirement, because think about it, a lot of things that have to do with the DOD, Department of Defense, is contract-based, and contracts require, you have to have this paper, you don't get the contract, so those things just become critical.
1: Oh, that is so absolutely true. What I have learned over the last five years in doing this is, you know, again, when you're working with the government, everything is, I mean, it's check the box, and it's got to be checked, and the regs are the regs. Be that good, be that bad, I'm not That's not the issue. The issue is is that what we're talking about is that you've got to be squared away in every aspect. And that works on the civilian side as well when you're trying to get in the door.
0: So Matt, there's one last thing I'd like to say before we end this thing. And it's if you like coffee, this is great coffee to buy, great tasting. And the give back is 50% to the Semperify Fund. It makes sense. And if you're an organization who serves coffee, why not get a coffee to serve that gives back 50%. You're going to be helping veterans. And that's what we're all about. American Heroes Network wants to help veterans, help them heal, help them be happy, help them be successful, and their families as well. So anything that we can do or promote that is going to make that objective happen, that's great. That's what we want to do.
1: Thank you, Pete. And that's what I say to people. Look, if you're buying coffee for home for your police station for your firehouse, if you're in a position where at your company, your company is purchasing coffee for its employees, cafeteria, and you support our military. Is your current supplier donating 50% of their profits to help our wounded troops from all service branches? Because the Semper Fi Fund is not just strictly Marine. Initially it was, but they've changed that, oh, a good years ago or so, I think it was, where now every service member from every branch of the military is helped. So if you are purchasing coffee, why not purchase from us? We're not asking for donations. We're not asking for charity. What I'm saying to you is I have a top shelf quality coffee and it's priced equal to, if not in most cases, better than what you're buying now. So why not support us? Because it's a gift that keeps giving. If you're giving it as a gift, But it's also if you're sitting there and enjoying a great cup of coffee, you have the satisfaction of knowing that while you're enjoying that coffee, 50% of the profits that are made from your purchase are going to support these kids that are coming home banged up and need them. Some of them a lifetime of assistance. The Naval Academy gets it, and uh, by that I mean when I went to them and presented my case, they put us right in King Hall, and it's a fantastic opportunity for us to promote our product as well. We're, We're trying to get the Air Force Academy and the Coast Guard Academy and West Point Military Academy on board with us as well. I haven't had the opportunity to present our case to them, so we're hoping that somebody out there might be able to put us in a position where we can sit down and talk to them and see if we can get in there as well. Because, again, they're buying coffee for their corps of cadets as the Naval Academy is purchasing coffee for the uh, brigade. So why not it be a coffee that's giving back to the very people that they're educating and going to be sending out there in harm's way?
0: Exactly. You know what? And I really hope that that happens over and over again for you. You know, Matt, I really appreciate you coming on today and talking. Like I said, I like what you're doing, and I like how you give back, and and that's the the thing that means the most to us at American Heroes Network because you're helping others. Every single day, you're helping others. And so we thank you, and I thank you for coming on this episode. If they want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: You can go to our website. You can go to militaryjava.com. Uh, you can go to jarheadjava.com. I mean, all of our brands, we have uh, .com associated with them. So there's com. There's bravozulujava.com. You can reach me directly at matt p m a t t p as in papa, at jarheadjava.com. You know, I'd love to hear from people. We're on LinkedIn. We have close to 26,000 connections on LinkedIn. And then another I think it's roughly 9,000 between Facebook and Twitter. So you can always find us on the social media there as well. But I look forward to hearing from everybody. I get get phone calls sometimes at at like one o'clock in the morning from old Marines that are on the West Coast. And, you know, they might have gotten a broken mug or something. And and I'm on the phone. And, and, you know, I, I think of my dad, who he passed in 2004. But I don't have the heart to say to him, you know, hey, Eventually, I have to say to them, you know, uh, sir, it's 1.30 in the morning here. Ah, sorry, kid. You know, cause they're telling me about their med float that they had in '58 or whatever. And <laughs> like I say, I don't have the heart to break in, and so I do hear from folks, and I enjoy it very much.
0: Awesome, that's great. So now they know how to reach out to you, and again, uh, I'm going to keep in touch with you and see what we can do. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Hope to see you eventually. And thank you again for coming on the episode, and and I look forward to the future.
1: Great. Thank you, Pete. appreciate it very much. Thank
0: you. hope you've enjoyed this episode. Be sure to keep coming back each week for more great episodes. If you want to talk about something you learned today, if you have questions, or if you would like to be a guest on our podcast, go to AmericanHeroesNetwork.com and click on Contact Us. Thank you for listening.